Hello everyone, Pastor Tim with you, and I want to give a shout out to uh, all of our real life family and friends for tuning in and joining us again today as we continue our series on Romans. Uh, and I want to thank uh, Megan Fonder in the last two weeks. Uh, she just did a great job of walking us through Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8. Just the, the struggle that we have, everyday life struggle to live life according to God's ways. And yet God has given us his Holy Spirit, uh, the, the power of God, the presence of God himself, uh, who empowers us to actually live that new life. And that's the good news is today you are not alone. God is with you. His Spirit is with you and in you. He is living with you and in you, and He's moving through you. And you and I are never alone again. We never have to contend with sin on our own again. We have a risen Savior who conquered sin on our behalf and who is now within us, in His Spirit, within us, helping us conquer sin, overcome those old habits, break those chains, change those mindsets, and live a legacy of life instead of a legacy of bondage. Hallelujah! So I, I pray that you are feeling that spirit today, filling you, encouraging you, and that you're listening and following and walking in the power of God's spirit today. Well, I just came back from vacation, and so I'm, I'm excited to be able to uh, you know, pick up where Megan left off in Romans chapter 9. And today, actually, we're going to look at Romans 9, 10, and 11. And I'm not going to be able to cover everything and do justice to this topic, but Paul pivots um, his message now in these three chapters to the issue of Israel, his people. He's an Israelite. He's a Hebrew. Uh, he, he grew up in the Jewish faith, and, uh, and God called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles, but his heart is breaking because of the rejection of Jesus by, in large part, the majority of Jews and Israel. And so Paul turns his attention in chapters 9, 10, and 11 to talk about Israel and has God given up on Israel? Is God done with Israel, the Israelite people, because they rejected him? Uh, and so that's what we're going to talk about today, Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. Now, as we get started, um, let's just pray. God, we just thank you for the opportunity to study your word, to dive into your truths. And I pray, God, that what we talk about today will be filled with your spirit. Your spirit will lead this time. You will speak to our hearts. You will give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so we can know you better. We'll be inspired, encouraged, healed, strengthened, empowered to continue to live this life in you and through you and by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let me uh, kind of draw back for a second and just talk about Israel. Israel is an incredibly difficult, complicated, uh, big topic. And we're there's no way I could talk about everything that I would like to talk about with you about this today. So I'm just going to have to pick a little bit of, of the story of Israel before we get into the details of what Paul is saying in Romans 9, 10, and 11. But I just want to re review a little bit how God began to reveal his will and his character to the world. He started by choosing a man. That man was Abraham. And through that man, Abraham, God did a miracle, right? And he gave him a promised child, Isaac. And from that moment, which we spoke about several weeks ago, it is by faith that God began to um, bring about his promises for Abraham. It wasn't through Abraham working it out himself, but it was by believing in God and God did the rest. And so Isaac is born and then Jacob is born. And from Jacob, the 12 tribes or the 12 sons of Jacob became the 12 tribes 
of a people group called the Hebrews. And those Hebrews were enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years. And then God raised up a deliverer named Moses, who is from the tribe of Levi. Levi. And so Moses leads them out, a great deliverance from bondage. And it was a picture of what was going to take place in a few centuries in, you know, when Jesus Christ came as the Son of God to lead us out of bondage to sin. And so we have this beautiful picture of God delivering his people, his chosen people from Abraham to a people group to the Hebrews. And he leads them out of bondage through the Red Sea, cuts off the enemy, destroys the bondage and the, and the um, authority that the, that the Egyptian army had, destroys the enemy. Jesus has led us out of sin. He's destroyed the enemy and he's given us a brand new beginning, right? And then the people are in the desert. They're going to the promised land. They didn't believe in God. So they spent 40 years in the desert learning to trust in God one day at a time for the manna, for the cloud would move, the fire would move, and the people had to respond and they had to move. And they had to learn how to live life depending and trusting in God. And we're in the same boat. We are still doing the same thing today, having to learn this lesson that it's not by bread alone that man lives, as Jesus said, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's what Moses said. Jesus repeated it. And so we are learning how to trust in God, not trust in ourselves, not work it out on our own. That's what this is all about. And then uh, God led them to the mountain, made a covenant with them, and they became a nation. God led them into the promised land through Joshua. They became the nation Israel. God gave them this land and history continues on all the way up to this day. Israel is in existence today. There is a land called Israel, a nation called Israel, a people of the Jewish faith, Hebrew people that have faith uh, in this God, right? The God of Abraham. Now, when Jesus shows up, he is the fulfillment of the blessing God called uh, or put upon Abraham. And it's in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 to 3. It says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God's original intent was that he would pick a person that would become a family, that family would become a group of people, that group would become a nation, and then God gave them laws to live by. And the idea was that this nation would represent him to the world. They would, they would embody God's blessings and his laws, his righteous decrees, and they would live a blessed, prosperous life, and all the world would be attracted to God. They would see God's character through a people. They would see God's image through a people. They would see God's righteousness and holiness through the nation of Israel. Israel would become a light to the world. And through this nation, all the peoples on the earth would be blessed. They would come alive. They would be set free from sin, set free from bondage, set free from selfishness and, and the world's ways, right? And that has happened and is happening ultimately through God himself, Jesus, who was born into this group, into this nation, um, uh, through a tribe, right? And Jesus arrives as the Son of God, and he becomes the fulfillment of all this blessing. And he lays his life down for us. He pays a debt we couldn't pay to open up a way we couldn't open, a way of salvation, a way of being restored to God, a way of being forgiven of our sins. And so ultimately, the fulfillment of this prophecy 
is not Israel. It is Jesus. And yet God is still working his plan through Israel. And so Israel today is um, the, the center point of God's will being accomplished on the earth. And um, many years ago, when, uh, when in, 19, in uh, 70 AD, the Roman Empire destroyed the temple and, uh, and basically tried to eliminate the Jews, and they were scattered throughout the world, and they were eliminated from Jerusalem and from the land of Israel. And for uh, man, almost 2,000 years, the Jews were excluded from the land. And then God began to bring them back in the eight, uh, late 1800s, and they began to come back and multiply and uh, began to reclaim the land, began to resettle the land, and, and then God's blessing began to be upon the people. And they came out of all the countries, and they began to form uh, you know, a community. And after World War II, right after a, a real demonic-infested uh, you know, World War II policy to try to exterminate the Jews. And by the way, the, the Holocaust, uh, one of the most horrific things that we've ever seen in world history, uh, one-third of all Jews worldwide were killed during that time, about six million Jews. Um, right after that, of all time, uh, all timing, the, the nation of Israel is born. A miracle took place. But during those almost 2,000 years, well, 1,800, 1,700 and some odd years, 1,800 years before that, uh, during that time, uh, there was some bad theology being created due to the circumstances of the world. And there was this the theology called replacement theology. And that was the idea that there's no way Israel will ever exist again. And therefore, God must be done with Israel. And so therefore, instead of Israel, now everything in the Bible is talking about Christians. And so we're the new Israel. And that theology is really, uh, is really corrupt. It's not true. Yes, God has a place for us, but God is not done with Israel. And then in 1948, when Israel became a nation, that theology you know, began to get dismantled, obviously, because God has done what he said he was going to do, and he brought them back at, out of exile, and today they're a nation. And all these prophecies that are yet to happen all flow through Israel. Jesus is coming back again, and he's coming to the land of Israel, and he will rule and reign again. He will, he will uh, I'll read you a scripture in a minute, where he will come down on the Mount of Olives. His feet will land on this earth again, but he's not coming uh, to give his life as a savior. He is coming to rule as the king of kings. Hallelujah. And so, as we talk about this, understand that what Paul is talking about uh, the time of history where Paul is, is he's just after, uh, just a couple of decade, decades after the birth of Christianity. And so when Jesus came, the first believers were Jewish. They were Jewish believers. And so at first, this idea of Christianity, if you want to call it that at that time, it wasn't really called that. But this, it was a Jewish sect of people believing in this, this person, Jesus, as the Messiah, and so it was, a, it was a sect or a division of the Jewish faith. And Paul, who was Saul, was, was an adamant uh, adversary to this. He thought it was wrong. He thought it was heresy to call this person a Messiah because the Messiah at that time in the Jewish mindset was not a person who was going to come and die. It was not a person who was going to um, hang on a tree, as a, uh, if you will, or a cross, 
and be cursed. That means that person is cursed. The Messiah is not going to be cursed. The Messiah isn't going to die. The Messiah is going to come and rock and roll, right? He's going to rule and reign. He's going to set us free. So that was the mindset of the day. And so for a devoted Jewish zealot, it didn't make any sense whatsoever to believe in a dead Savior or a man who, who was cursed and, and, and hung on a tree and crucified. But he isn't a dead Savior. The whole message of the cross is that Jesus didn't stay there. Right? He rose again and he proved himself, God proved to the world, that he is who he says he was, the Messiah, the Son of God. And his death paid for ours, and God validated that by raising him from the dead, showing us that his sacrifice for you and for me was valid, and, and it was acceptable, accepted on our behalf. Isn't that awesome? So, at this time, Saul became Paul, right? His name changed. We don't know if that was because of the conversion or if it's just Roman name and a Jewish name. But the idea is that he was one person and then he had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And it changed everything. And he stopped persecuting the Christians. He stopped persecuting the sect because he became one. He became a believer in Jesus. And Jesus set him free, saved his life. He came out of a religious mindset into a relationship with God. And so now Paul is writing this and his heart's breaking because uh, he came out of that, but he, he sees so many more of his fellow Jewish um, people that are still unbelievers. They, in fact, the most, most persecution that Paul experienced wasn't from the world. Of course, Rome and people who are lost, yeah, there's that just normal kind of persecution of disagreement, wrestling with, uh, being threatened by, but the most persecution Paul faced was from the religious Jews, which he was one of at, you know, just previous to his conversion. And those were the people trying to kill him. Those are the people giving him all kinds of trouble and, uh, and speaking against him. And he was stoned. He's been, you know, he, he was accused and, and his, um, his whole legal uh, battles began with the Jews accusing him of, of uh, heresy and blasphemy, right? And so it's in this moment in history where a major pivot point took place. And the gospel went from a Jewish religion and it burst loose into the Gentile world. And Paul was a part of that process. Peter was a part of that process. The early apostles saw this happen before their eyes. It was just a Jewish religion. Jesus was a Jewish Messiah. But yet God all along said that, Israel, listen, through you, you will be a blessing to all the people on the earth. So it isn't just about Jews. It isn't just about Israel. Israel was meant to be the city on a hill, shining bright for all to see, the glory of God and the, the majesty of God and God's salvation and His promises. And the fulfillment was going to come through them, but it's going to go to everyone. And so at first, the, the apostles couldn't wrap their mind around this. Wait a minute, this, this Jesus, the Messiah, you know, the one that we know, the one that rose from the dead, he's not just for Jews, but this is for everyone? That was an incredible revelation. And Paul was a part of that process. And he's like, I'm a Jew, but God has called me to be an apostle, to take this good news. God has sent me to take this news to the world, to the Gentile world. And, uh, and, but his heart is aching for 
his own people, the Jews. And so a lot of people say, well, it's God done with the Jews. And Paul writes about that here because he's in the middle of this great uh, divide. We have persecution coming against Christians from the Jews who have rejected Jesus as Messiah. And then we have all these Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus. And the, the Jews who did believe in Jesus didn't know how to handle that. And over time, there became a great division and a split in the church. And so Paul is in the middle of that time and his heart's breaking and, uh, and he's talking about this. And but he says, but God is not done with Israel. God is not done with Israel. In fact, uh, as Paul lays it out in Romans chapter 10 and 11, he, he paints a picture that what God is doing is because of the rejection of Jesus as Messiah by the Israel, by Israel by the Jews, that the gospel has burst out to the Gentiles. And now Paul's prayer is that the gospel will move in such a powerful way among the Gentile world that it will arouse a jealousy in his fellow Jews of what God is doing and the miracles and the life change and, and the revelation that Jesus is Messiah, that it will cause a jealousy, envy to arise within his Jewish brothers and sisters, Israel, and they too will then turn and receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, Paul's basing this on prophecies as well. So I just want to give you a couple of those real quick. Zechariah 8.8 tells us that Israel will have a revival, that Jews will return to Jesus. And we are going to see at the end of time a great revival, not just across the world, but a revival of Jews recognizing and coming to see Jesus as their Messiah. Zechariah 8.8, 8, God says this, uh, 8, 7, and 8. This is what the Lord Almighty says, I will save my people from the countries of the east and the west. I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people, and I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. In Zechariah 12, uh, verse 10, this, this is again is the, is the end times, and God says this, I, and I will pour out on the house of David, that's you know, referring to Israel, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and supplication, they will look on me, the one they have pierced. It's talking about Jesus. They will see Jesus and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn, child, for a firstborn son. They will recognize Jesus as the Messiah and they will repent. They will mourn. They will cry. They will grieve. They will repent and they'll be placing their faith in Jesus. Zechariah 13 um, verse 1 says, On that day a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. This is a great salvation um, that's going to take place. And then Zechariah chapter 14, the first several verses says this, A day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided among you. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, a great earthquake. 
forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. <laughs> this is the trumpet call of God, right? This is the resurrection to new life. This is the, the return of the army of God and his people. Verse 6, on that day there will be no light, no cold or frost. It will be a unique day without daytime or nighttime, a day known to the Lord. When evening comes, there will be light. And verse 8, on that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half to the eastern sea and half to the western sea in the summer and in winter. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. We see that at the end of time, Christ is coming back as a ruling and reigning king. But during this time, just at this time, the Jews, it seems, will have a great revival. They will recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior. And Paul has this hope, and he has this prayer, and that's what he's talking about. And why, why do they need to, though? Why do they need to uh, have a recognition of Jesus as Lord and Savior? Aren't they Jews? Aren't they God's people? Um, didn't God choose Abraham, make these promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob? Uh, isn't this the Hebrews God delivered out of Egypt and made a covenant with? Aren't these the people that God led through the desert and then brought into the promised land through Joshua and gave them the land of Israel? So why do they need saving? Well, this is what Paul's talking about in Romans 9, 10, and 11. They need saving the same way every single one of us needs saving. Because Israel was placing their faith, if you will, in their works and their ability to earn righteousness. They were almost kind of living an entitled spiritual life. They knew they were God's people. They're chosen by God. They have the Torah. They have all these rules and all these laws, and they live by them as best as they can. They live by them, and they honor God, and they do all of these things. And through doing all this stuff, through being who they are, through being the children of Abraham, through being in the land of Israel, being the Jewish people, there became an entitlement to their spirituality thinking, we're God's people. You know, of course we're, we're saved because we have his word. We live righteous lives. We follow God. But Paul addresses this and says, no, that is not how one earns righteousness. So now we're going to dive into this. In Romans chapter 9, verse 30 to 32, he says, what then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, were not working hard at it like the Jewish people, have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained it. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. You see, Israel was not arbitrarily rejected by God, but rejected by God to their disobedience, due to their disobedience. And the very law that this, they disobeyed, the Torah, because they couldn't live it perfectly, was actually pointing all of us to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Torah. He is the Torah. I was watching the, uh, the movie, the, um, 
uh, The Chosen the other night, well, last night. And uh, I was watching the episode where, where Jesus was describing the need of the people, the Israelites, in his hometown in Nazareth, of their need for God, that they need God, and that they can't base their salvation on their good works or their, 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 um, the fact that they're Jews, but that they need God. They need to see their need for a Savior, Right? And, he, and then they were questioning him, and, and the one uh, rabbi said, who do you think you are? You know, the, you, you know you're, you're not obeying the law of Moses. And then Jesus said, <laughs> he said, I am the law of Moses. Oh, man. And that was offensive to the Jews. That was blasphemous to them. How could he claim that he's God? How could he claim he's the very law of Moses, you see? But he actually is. And so they were missing the Savior for the substance of the law. And that's what, that's what Paul is saying took place, and that's what he's describing in uh, Romans 9, 10, and 11. So I want to read a couple of verses for you. So Romans chapter 10, let me look at that real quick and read the first four verses, okay? It says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. In other words, Paul's saying they were trying to live out the Torah to be righteous on their own, and they missed seeing Jesus and their need for God to save them through faith. Abraham had faith, but then the people began to try to gain righteousness, not by faith, but by works, by religion. And then verse 4, Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. This is a loaded, loaded statement that Paul is making. And he's making a distinction between two things. We're going to call it the one law, and we're going to call the other one faith. Okay, And Paul is saying that Christ is the end of the law. Um, and I want to describe that because, and explain that because some people misinterpret what he's saying. So Paul is saying he's in the end of the law. And some people are like, if he's the end of the law, that means we don't even have to worry about this anymore as Christians, right? We don't have to worry about the law. The law doesn't... Um, boss us around anymore and we don't we don't have to live this way anymore because Jesus did it yay you know and you can overemphasize that point and you can lose the fact that why would God throw away the law because it is perfect and it's eternal why would God just throw the the law away it's not a good interpretation of what Jesus or what Paul is saying about Jesus so the word end here in this verse Christ is the end of the law in Greek is the word telos, and it means termination, or it means goal, or culmination, or fulfillment. Okay, I like the word fulfillment, that Christ is the fulfillment of the law, and through him fulfilling the law, he's opened a way for there to be righteousness for everyone else who believes in him. Now, the reason I, I choose this interpretation is because it's consistent with what Jesus himself says and what all of other scriptures say. So Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, 17. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. 
I have come to fulfill them. So Jesus has fulfilled. That's a better way of looking at this. Jesus came and he fulfilled the requirements of the law, thereby opening a way for righteousness to be gained through faith. So you have two choices here. To obtain righteousness, okay, before Christ came, the only option was this option here. Okay? And in Romans 10, verse 5, Paul tells us and summarizes what this option looks like. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by law. The man who does these things will live by them. So the law depends on you and me doing. It's about doing, right? I must do the right things, not do the wrong things, and I must do that perfectly all the time in order to gain righteousness through the law. But let's do a flashback to Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Paul, in Romans 1 and 2, and in the first half of Romans chapter 3, shows us that no one is actually able to do this to get righteousness perfectly. And he summarizes his argument. You can read it again, Romans 1, 2, and 3. In chapter 3, verse 20, Therefore, no one, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Why? Because Paul proves it's impossible. So here's what this ends up with. No one. <laughs> no one. That's why we need a Savior. Now, until you realize this, you don't see a need for this. And so the whole point of the law was to bring everybody, individually and corporately, to this recognition, this personal admittance that I need Jesus. I can't do it. No matter how hard I've tried, no matter how much we try or do, we will fall short. The Bible says we all fall short, Jews and Gentiles and Jews, Jews. Not just because you're a Jew doesn't mean you're still, you're, you're good with righteousness. No. How did Abraham get righteousness? Was it through obedience? No. The Bible says Abraham got righteousness because God credited it to him through his faith. Through his faith. That's an old argument we made a couple chapters ago. So then in verse 6, Paul says this. He says, but the righteousness that is by faith looks different than this. All right. It says, but the righteousness that is by faith says, says. So the law is doing and faith is saying. What does it say? Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter uh, 10, verse, uh, verse 9, he says that if you say with your mouth, if you confess with your mouth, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, Believe. Saying, believing, actually you believe first. Saying and believing in Jesus, that's faith. Then the Bible says you will be saved. You will be saved. Isn't that awesome? It says, for it is with your mouth that you believe and are saved. Right? And, it's, uh, and it says, well, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Now, I want to go back to Romans 10, 4. 
Christ is the end, the fulfillment of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone, for everyone who believes. Look at the contrast here. Everyone. And so when we read this chapter, Paul is making a, an appeal to the Jewish, believer, the, the Jewish um, Israelites. And he's saying, you guys, listen, we, you cannot obtain righteousness through obedience to the law, although it is good and it is right and it is holy and it's what we ought to do, but we can't get righteousness going this way. But Jesus has perfectly fulfilled the law. He has perfectly met all the requirements. Because he's done that, because he's done that, this now, the process of gaining righteousness through the law, this process is now finished. And Jesus has opened a new way for everyone to have righteousness by faith in him. So these are our choices. And I look at this, if you take this path with your life, it's like running on a treadmill. You're going to keep going, keep trying, am I there yet? Am I there yet? Did I do it? Am I doing all right? Am I good enough? And you'll never get there. You'll never finish. You'll get exhausted. You'll get burned out. You'll give up. You'll fall off the treadmill, right? This is more of a picture of an easy chair, like a lazy boy chair. Not that you're not doing anything, but you're resting, you're, you're placing your faith in Christ. Christ has done it. Now, he works it out in us, and there's activity, and there's changes, and there's healing, and there's, 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 there's works that come out of, out of our relationship with Christ. Good works come out of, flow out of our belief. But the process for gaining righteousness is by faith, not through, not through works. Works come, or the doing comes, out of this. So it's like we got faith from saying and believing in Jesus and it's for everyone. And out of that comes good works, God works that Christ made for us that makes a difference in our lives and in the lives of those around us. But this is not motivated in order to get righteousness. This comes because we are righteous in him. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. And the Holy Spirit now empowers us in this process to actually live a righteous life. Not because we have to, but because that's who we are. That's our new nature in Him. It's glorious. That's why I should skip to this right now. At the end of this, chapter 11, Paul breaks out in this doxology, this praise. And in verse 33, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Paul is just amazed at God's God's plan. Paul is rejoicing and celebrating that Jews and Gentiles alike have a path to salvation, but it's not through ourselves. It is through Jesus and through faith in Him. And no matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, we all need Jesus. We need Jesus. And that's the main point that Paul is trying to share here. And so the end of the law is not the end of the law, it's the end of the processes of us having to live this way to gain righteousness. The law isn't going anywhere. The law is still perfect. It's still righteous. It's still good. It's still eternal. 
And now the Holy Spirit works the law into our heart and we begin to live a righteous life because it produces blessing and life and abundance in us and through us. Right? And so that's what Paul is describing here in his heart for uh, his fellow brothers and sisters. Romans 3, 21 and 22 really is the main thesis of this entire book, which we talked about several weeks ago. I want to remind you of this verse when it says this, but now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, not over here, but over here, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There it is. There is no difference for all Gentiles and Jews. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And that's the good news of the gospel. Now I want to go on to say this. Romans 10, 9 and 10, I've already mentioned this, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Faith is profoundly simple, right? But the law is profoundly complicated. This is putting your trust in God, in, in Christ. It's believing and trusting in Him. This is an exhaustive, crazy treadmill lifestyle of trying to do everything right under your own power, which you don't have enough power to do. That's why Paul is breaking out in such great praise. And then he says this. I want to, I want to close with this idea in Romans chapter 10. There's a lot more here, obviously, I couldn't get into. But I want to close with this idea. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. I'm going to back up to verse um, 13. And Paul says this, Everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Jesus, in faith, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he says this. Remember how we talked about this in the beginning? God's whole purpose of picking a man, Abraham, and a people, the Hebrews, and developing them into a nation, and giving them a land, and laws, and decrees, was to bring all the world a blessing. The blessing of salvation. The blessing of deliverance from sin. The blessing of resurrected life. The blessing of eternal life through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is God's goal, His will, His intent all along. God's not done with Israel, and He's not done with you. If you're a believer, listen to this now. Romans chapter 10, 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? And now Paul says, listen, this isn't replacement theology at all. But Paul is saying everyone who has faith in Christ now. God has called us all to go and share this good news. Jews, Gentiles, uh, men, women, young people, old people, whatever nation you're from, whatever gender you are, whatever skin color you have, everyone, everyone needs to hear the good news because God's plan from the very beginning was to get this message out to everyone in the whole world. And now through Christ, all of us are equipped to be his witnesses.
A preacher needs to be sent. Someone needs to go to the lost, right? The message needs to be proclaimed. Someone needs to preach that good news. Uh, hearing the message, some will hear, some will listen, and some will believe. And everyone who does believe will be saved. So welcome to the preaching team. <laughs> welcome to the preaching team. You are on the preaching team. You know God. You know the good news. You know the gospel. And you are sent to those around you, to the lost, to share that good news. You can't save anybody, but you can share the good news. And some will hear. Some will listen to you. Some will believe. And everyone who believes the message will be saved. That's what God's doing on the, on the earth today. That's what our calling is to do as believers, is to now that we are saved, to take this message and to share it with others. And so Romans uh, 10, 17 says, Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. So if faith comes from hearing the message, and hearing the message of Christ, then we need to make sure people are hearing the message of Christ. And the people around you, you're the most likely candidate for them to hear the message from. I probably don't know a lot of the people that you know. I'm probably not in the same circles that you're in. And so God has called each one of us in our sphere, in our circle, to speak the message, to share the message, uh, to love the message out to those around us. Because some will hear and some will believe. And everyone who believes will be saved. Amen? Well, if you're a believer, celebrate that faith that God has uh, stirred in you for Him. If you're not a believer, today you can be a believer. Jesus said, come to me. If you're tired, if you're weary of running that life on that treadmill, trying to do your best, keep falling short, not finding fulfillment, not finding purpose, not finding meaning, come to me. That's the invitation. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Every, any, no one gets to the Father except through me, except through me. Nobody can finish this. Nobody can accomplish this. No one can fulfill this except me. But I offer to you a new way to gain righteousness before God that's trusting in me, having a relationship with me, uh, de deciding to make me the Lord of your life. Follow me. Uh, and I'm talking about Jesus, of course. Jesus is making that invitation to you. And so if that's your heart, pray this prayer with me right now. Say, Jesus, today, I choose to follow you. I thank you that you did what I couldn't do. And today, I surrender my life to you. I trust in you. I place my faith in you. I believe in you. And I say, I confess, Jesus, you are my Lord. Thank you for forgiving me right now of all my sin, cleansing me, and making me a new person. Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Empower me to live this new life. Begin something in me. Uh, that you are going to finish. And, and I, I just trust in you and I give my whole life to you. And I thank you for loving me and saving me today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. And I pray that you, like Paul, have a heart for the people around you. And your prayer is that they will come to the recognition of Jesus as Messiah and that you will be available to the Holy Spirit to speak the good news to those around you as he prompts you to and as he gives you opportunity to because you are a preacher. You are one who has good news to share and you know that good news and we've been studying it and Jesus is coming. He's in you and he's changing your life and that's your story and he wants to do that for every single individual around you. 
that are in your life and everyone in this world. So open your heart to the Holy Spirit promptings you to share this good news and to lead others to Jesus as Savior and Lord. Well, God bless you. I want to pray this blessing over you that I always finish with. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and be gracious to you <laughs> and shine his face upon you. And uh, may the, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be so strong in your life uh, as you follow him and follow his leadings in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.